If I would have advertised a sermon today, could have said, that, said it this way. I want to tell you how to keep more of your money, have more disposable time, and reduce stress in your life. How many know that would be a pretty effective sermon if we could, we could tap into those three things? More money, less stress, more disposable time to spend on things that you enjoy. Well, the answer to that is not without. It's not somewhere out there. It's not through some kind of special life coach guru type person. The answer for those beneficial factors in our life is within. And I believe it's through the biblical directive to live a life of contentment. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I know that there are times when the Lord uses holy dissatisfaction to push us forward and to create change in our life. And we have key moments in our life when that occurs. But most of the time, most of life is just really, really daily. It's just regular. It's repetitious. It's over and over and over again. Uh, In fact, even in the Bible, uh, we get the highlights in the Bible. We get the miraculous stories. We get the big events. But we... We see in the Bible, both in the Old Testament and New Testament, great spans of time. I mean, years, sometimes decades, even at times centuries where there's no information and life is just going up, going on. The sun is coming up. The sun is going down. Life is going on. And there's this great sense that we are uh, addicted to adventure and we fail to realize that adventure is only adventure when in between those mountaintops and those highlights, life is very mundane. And there's a beauty in that. There is a blessing in that. If you don't think it's a blessing to have a normal day, why don't you go down to one of the hospitals downtown and walk through uh, one of the areas and see people who are dealing with life's hardest challenges. People crave a normal day. People long for normality. People wish one more day to just have something mundane and regular. Yet the the deceptions that we're under is we deride, we look down upon the normal and the ordinary in our life. So much of our energy is spent searching after what we don't have that we don't have proper energy to enjoy what we already possess and often what we've worked very hard to possess. A lot of times we've worked very hard. We failed to remember we've made choices and positioned ourselves and by God's grace, we've been given great things, but we, we look down upon the great things we have today and don't even appreciate the grace and the work that went into that because we're always searching for something else. Now, I've always had people in my life, I'm not going to name names, but they're people close to me, people that I've been connected to, perhaps even family members who spend a lot of time looking for that perfect, close parking spot, you know, at the shopping center. In fact, I'm not just thinking of one person, you know, I'm thinking of a whole lot of people in my life that have been this way. Now, I have this philosophy that when I go shopping you know, to, to Kroger or, or Walmart or wherever the case is, you know, I just pull into the parking lot and if there's a accessible parking spot and I can park my car there, I just pull in and park. It's really not that difficult of a decision. Some people I know go up and down, 
weave in and out, put on their blinker and huff and puff while they're waiting for someone to unload their groceries uh, just to get 50 feet closer to the store. And I've just found that there's great benefit to just pulling in, parking, and getting on the car and walking in. And, and on occasion, when I've been with groups of people, we're going to the same place, um, I'll do that. If I'm not being persecuted by other members in the car, I won't name who they are either. But uh, sometimes they're like, park closer. I'm like, no, we're right here. And we park the car, we walk in, go to the entrance, and the people we're with are still looking for a parking space close when we're inside. Not to mention the benefit of walking. I mean, you know that walking can kind of be in God's will sometime uh, and, and, and getting position your car to where someone's not going to nick it. There's just a lots of good reason to do that. And so in my, in my estimation, just being content with whatever parking place that I find increases, uh, increases my time, gives me more time to be in the store. It's less stressful. It's easier on me. Again, it keeps my car from getting dinged up. It saves me money. Now, this is just words of wisdom, you know, words of wisdom here. Um, now we'll get back to scripture because this is somewhat can be an analogy for our lives. A lot of us, we're, we're, we're searching. We're just frantically up, down, back, forth, huffing, puffing, stressed out, mad at the parking lot, mad at the store, mad at the other people because we don't have that ideal perfect parking place and we just need to park the car and get in the store. This would make life better. All right? Here's what the scripture says about that. How, how about the Bible? Y'all guys are ready for the Bible? Yeah, this is nonsense. Let's get to the scripture. This is what 1 Timothy 6, 6 says. And we're going to look through 1 Timothy chapter 6. It's our primary text today. But godliness with contentment is a great gain. Godliness with contentment is a great gain. I'm here to tell you today, here's the premise of this message that every aspect of your life will improve with a measure of contentment. I want to tell you also that contentment is a fruit of godliness in our life. John Ortberg asked a question 15 years ago in one of his books that has shaken me, and it's a metric for me to measure where my life is. He's asked this, is the life we're inviting other people to live, a life of peace and joy and fulfillment, the life we're living ourselves. I was reading recently about something a non-Christian observed about Christians. He or she said, you know, Christianity is interesting, but it's just Christians that are such bad people. Isn't that a terrible phrase? Here it is. We're, we're talking about, come to Jesus. Your life will be fulfilled. It will fulfill the inter." part of your life and you'll receive peace and love and joy and our life is great. But if we really evaluate our life, we're living in the land of discontentment. We're not satisfied. We're not at rest. There's not peace in our life. And, and this is a fruit of ungodliness. Now, I'm not meaning that as a somewhat accusatory statement assaulting you. I'm just telling you this is a great metric in my life, in Aaron Allison's life. When I have discontent, and it's not holy discontent, discontent coming from the Holy Spirit, I know there's something wrong with me. My heart is not aligned with the purposes of God in my life. So let's go back to verse 6 again. Godliness with contentment is a great gain. We brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. 
But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. Now, guys, this is the scripture here. This is the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. This isn't just me kind of creating some kind of opinion here. This is this great sense of we need to find satisfaction in everyday life. Satisfaction in Christ. Satisfaction in our relationships. Satisfaction with the bowl of soup we eat. Satisfaction with our homes. The fact that we have access to transportation. The fact that somebody is giving you a paycheck for your time and talents. That's a blessing from the Lord. It's a blessing from the Lord. It's something that we should thank God for. This is this, even going back to my offering message today, this idea of work and giving, that God's plan for us is to work. God's plan for us is to find fulfillment in whatever type of work we do. And I know for our retirees, that looks different, but God's called you to work. It's just a different type of work today. It's a different type of work. Students, you are ones who are to work. You are to excel at the assignments that are given to you. This is the will of God for you. You're supposed to be content, content with the fact that you have access to education. I know when you're 14 hearing that, it doesn't really sink in. But just trust me, trust me, it's true nonetheless. You know, one of the things wealth does for us and money does for us is it creates options. And that's why from a civic standpoint, The health of our economy is important, and I'm concerned about that. I want our leaders to make good decisions so that we have a strong economy. Because with a strong economy, we have options. When I have disposable money, I can give it to the Lord. I can spend extra time with my family. And more importantly than this, when when I'm not in survival mode, and I'm not just scratching to the just hoping to get to the next paycheck or hoping to get hoping to put off that bill so I can pay the next, and when I'm not using all of my creativity on managing my bills, I can use my creativity on being a good son to God. And so, in a society that is strong economically, the arts are better, creativity is better. When the economy is stronger, even people have sometimes time to consider religion and its effect in our life. So there's some great benefit to that. I've noticed that, you know, God's called me to work with suburban people. I've concluded that. I concluded that. And you know, well, that's an easy call, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you try it. You try it. Missionaries tell, I would tell missionaries, I'm like, man, I wouldn't, I, thank you for what you do for the Lord and all this. And they're like, I would never do what you do. I would never work. And, and, and but I love it. I love what I do. But I've always worked now 21 years of ministry with suburban people. And us as suburban people, this is a great challenge to us. The gift of wealth, the gift of finances, which is something we should thank God for and we should not be ashamed of, creates options for us. What do we do with those options? Do those options bring us closer to the purposes of God? Does it bring us closer to our church community? Do those options build the kingdom of God? Or do those options cause us to retreat, 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 retreat? And so it is. That that's the problem. The problem isn't wealth and money because that's a gift from God. The problem is how our hearts respond to wealth and money. And maybe one of the reasons God hasn't prospered some of us to the level we want to see is because he knows we can't handle it. Because you've seen the story over and over and over again, how power and influence, it corrupts the heart. 
and it causes good people to make bad decisions. And it causes redeemed people who belong to Jesus pull away from the kingdom of God, pull away from the church, pull away from volunteering, pull away from the things God has called them to do. Why? Because they have options. Let's take those options and use them to build the kingdom of God and to turn our hearts towards the things of the Lord to be who God's called us to be. Now, if you're new to the Nashville area, I want to take a little survey here. How, how, many, how many are new to the Nashville area within the last three years? Let's just put up your hand real high. I'm just kind of curious about this. Okay, great, great. You can put your hand down. Well, I want to help you with something. I'm going to give a tip that some of us Nashvilleans understand. If you ever have to drive to Hermitage or to the Mount Juliet area and you don't take I-40, there's another way to go. Myatt Drive to Old Hickory. There's a little, little community. It's not really a city, but it's a little community called Lakewood. It's a lovely community. It really is. It's a nice community. But you're cruising down the road about... 50 miles an hour. And suddenly, out of nowhere, like the speed of light, the speed limit drops to 25. Now I hear some people laughing and shaking their heads. How many of you have been around know exactly what I'm talking about in Lakewood where it goes to 50, 25? Okay, you know exactly. All right, let me see your hand. How many of you have seen someone pulled over because they've been in that trap there? How many of you have been pulled over? Okay, we don't know if we need to be that honest. I had a friend of mine who was pulled over multiple times, four different times, I believe, if I remember correctly. That's called a speed trap. It's a speed trap. You're going a certain speed, boom, and you don't even notice that the rules have changed, the speed limit has changed. Those of you who raise your hand, you're new, consider yourself warned. Okay, I'm trying to be your pastor. I'm trying to shepherd you uh, and, and love you through traffic. Uh, traffic advice is one of those ways. Um, it's one of those traps you don't even know it's there in, until it happens. In fact, I said it's a lovely little community. There's like some craft shops you're looking at, some antique places, and boom, the police get you like that. This is a trap. This is a, a, a speed trap. And I want us to think about that word trap for a second. Traps happen when we're comfortable. You realize that? Most traps that we have are very, very comfortable. Traps occur when we don't see them coming. The reason we don't see them coming is because we're comfortable. And when traps happen, when we realize that we're caught, it's too late. These are the very definitions of a trap. Here's what the scripture tells us. I want you to write this down. Discontentment is a trap. Discontentment is a trap. This is a way for Satan to get a foothold in your life. This is a way for Satan to cause you to make decisions that oppose the will of God. Look what the scripture says in verse 9 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation. A trap. Write that down. Those who want to be rich. Again, the scripture is clear. It doesn't say it's wrong to be rich. And I would, I would say I'm a rich person. I, I would dare say all of you are too. 
Now, when we start comparing ourselves to each other, we can say, well, he's rich, she's rich, she's not rich, whatever. But I'm talking about, if you look statistically, around the globe, we are people that have the highest wages, the highest access to money, the highest access to resources. We have access to shelter, to food, to health care. And as much as our health care system is broken, still to this day, I know from working with families is that if someone is in an emergency that they go to a hospital around here, they are given care by wonderful, wonderful hospital staff, wonderful people who care for them. Those who want to be rich fall into temptation, into a trap. You might be saying today, we're like, well, that's not me. Well, maybe it's because you don't see it because you're comfortable. Remember what a trap is? It's something we don't see. It's something that, may, that we're comfortable in. And it's something that we often don't realize until we're caught. How many of the Holy Spirit is stronger than that? And maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about a trap today. Maybe he is. Maybe he's speaking to you about a trap. Two weeks ago, we, we, that word trap was used when we had a word from the Lord about pending infidelity here. And, and the, that, I know that... That, that email that I read has stirred the hearts of many people here. And that's, there's other types of trap besides just money, but this is what the text says today. Many foolish and harmful desires, and that's kind of the other stuff, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. Look at verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, that goes back to that desire part again, some have wandered away from the faith and have and pierced themselves with many pains. This is age-old wisdom that's as relevant in 2016 as it was in the first century. Why? Because it's human nature. We're dealing with human nature. We're dealing with us as human beings and our response to that. Jesus told the story. Jesus told the story that's helpful to us today. Luke chapter 16. You're going to have to change this in your notes because I wrote down this reference wrong. So the correct reference is this. Luke chapter 16, verse 19 through 31. Luke 16, 19 through 31. Let's just read this story together. Therefore, there was a rich man who would dress in purple, fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was left at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come and lick his sores. One day the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off. With Lazarus at his side, Lazarus at his side, He said this, Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot. Neither can those from there cross over to us. Father, he said, then I beg you, send them to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so that they won't come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, 
They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Powerful story, Jesus said. And I know our mind goes to a lot of places, but look at the end of that. Jesus foreshadowing his death and resurrection. So there's a lot to think about in that story. But I want us to connect it with this issue of contentment today. Jesus warned us about the challenges, the challenges that come to our life when our heart is with our wealth, our heart is with our desire to accumulate things in this world. When the root of things that are causing us to make decisions, we're only making decisions for personal financial gain. We're only making decisions to advance ourselves. We're only making decisions for our comfort in this life. And what Jesus is saying here is look beyond today, look to eternity. He told this story, and there's much we have to think about in that story. But the purpose of the story was to say, don't just think about today. Think about this long term. Think about this eternally. Think about what things are going to be like as the future unfolds. This is what Jesus is saying to us today. And he told them this. If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to even listen to someone who rises from the dead. Ladies and gentlemen, friends, listen. We have Moses and the prophets. We have access to them in a way the people who heard this story didn't have. We have many, many translations of what Moses and the prophets said. We have study tools. We have access to preachers and teachers who are explaining what Moses and the prophets said. And we have more. We have the gospel. We have the gospel message, the, the message of Jesus. And we, we know the resurrected one. I want to tell you this, that if Moses and the prophets and the story of Jesus' resurrection is not enough for you, there is nothing better, there is nothing greater. So it is. We're building our lives on sand. We're building homes that will not stand. The, it will not stand persecution. It will not stand illness. It will not stand financial hardship. It will not stand unemployment because we're building our lives on sand. And Jesus says, the rock is here. The rock is here. Keep building your life. And every day, normal life, a content life. Don't, don't get caught in that trap. I love what Aubrey said during worship today. It ministered to me. What a great metaphor of the birth of a child. And it doesn't matter what the emotions are. It changes everything. Some of us are looking for emotional highs. We're, we're looking for an adventure in our life. And Jesus says, on Christ a solid rock. Christ a solid rock. Build on a foundation consistently, day by day, service by service, devotional after devotional. Be that consistent person. Be that person who has an intercontentment that makes the gospel appealing to a world that is Searching for peace, a world that's disruptive, a world that's really, really needing help. What's the most boring place in the world? I thought about this. There's a lot of places. But one of them is on the sideline of a junior high or high school dance. That's a boring place to be. And I know this is because I spent a lot of time in that circumstance I'm not a dancer, and I'm still not. 
Wasn't then, not now. And so I'd watch everyone else doing their thing. And that's okay. I don't have an emotional wound from that or anything, so don't pray. If you're going to pray for me, pray about something else. Don't pray for that. <laughs> but working, working with students, you know, I've said, come on, get involved. Take a risk. Don't try to do image management. Just jump in because this sense of discontentment that we often have is because of our lack of involvement. I've noticed that as people pull away from participation, they get more discontent. But when we're engaged and we're doing stuff, we're too busy to be discontent. When we're about the father's business, when we're in the harvest, when we're gathering the harvest as he's called us, we have too busy, we're too busy to criticize because we're about the father's business. As a youth pastor, there was a time period where I was in charge of rec. I've hidden that from you. I used to do all those rec- recreational activities and I would play in like games and outdoor activities and volleyball tournaments and flag football tournaments and talent show music guests. We'd go to a camp and we were part of a big camp and I was in charge of all that extra stuff. So you have like the kids who are in sports, the teenagers who are in sports and they're easy to manage. And then you had the teenagers who are into music and they're easy to manage. And then you got the teenagers who are into each other, like the guy and girls dating. And they're not easy to manage, but we manage them and you know, put them in open spaces where we can see what's going on. And all of those people are pretty content. And then you have teenagers who just kind of fell through the cracks. None of this stuff was working, especially in the camps we ran. We didn't let, at that during that era, electronics. It was before the, the phone and stuff when you had more control over that. So we didn't let you know, video games and all that stuff. And so there's some kids that just... They were at this camp full of recreation. The one I'm thinking about now was a beach camp where there was volleyball going on, sand football games. There was talent show, all this activity. And they were not interested in any of it. And so I came up with an idea. I brought this rubber chicken with me to camp. And I named this rubber chicken Charlie the Chicken. And I said, all right, guys, I'm going to hide Charlie the Chicken. And when we come to service tonight, if you find it and safely deliver it to me, you get 20 bucks. All right? So we, we went out and hid the chicken. And then when I saw kids sitting around on board, like, Charlie the chicken's still missing. And they look up, 20 bucks? Let's go look. And so these groups of kids were, like, scurrying around the property looking for Charlie the chicken. And they got really complicated. He, he was caught and then kidnapped. And there was a ransom note and all kinds of fun stuff with that. And it just created all this activity. Here's a point. I was thinking about that story this week because when we're pursuing something, we don't have time to be discontent because we're active. We're after it. Here's the last point the scripture is saying to us today, or at least the last point we're going to talk about. Run from discontentment by pursuing Jesus. It may be time for some of you to get a new house. And I rejoice with you. Recently, I went and prayed with some friends in their new home. We blessed the home, and that was such an honor. I was so happy for them. So if it's time to get a new house, get a new house. But don't get a new house to try to solve your discontentment. Because you will be a discontented person in a bigger house. 
having a reliable car is good. I, I like having cars that run because, you know, car trouble just causes so much stress. And so if you have the money to buy a new car or to buy a newer car and it's time and it works out and it's not going to mess up your cash flow, all that, go buy a new car and use it for the kingdom of God and enjoy that new car. But if a new car is the answer to your discontentment, you're pursuing the wrong thing. This is what the scripture is trying to say. The love of money is the root of all evil. The desire for money is a trap. The Bible's full of wealthy people who use their wealth for the purposes of the Lord. One example that comes to mind is Joseph of Arimathea, who had the resources and influence to go, go to the religious leaders to ask for Jesus' body, to put Jesus' body in a very expensive tomb that he owned. He honored Jesus with his wealth. You can too, but not if that's the root of your life. Not if that is what motivates you, what drives you. It's a trap for you today. Some of you are less of a man or woman of God today because of the love of money. You are. And all of us have our own stories. Our own stories are unfolding in different ways. But these stories, these stories speak to our heart. Here's what the scripture says. Verse 11, but you, man of God, run from these things. What's it saying to run from? Run from discontentment. That's what the context, run from the trap of money. Run for the desire for money. Run for that which causes us to sin. Run from these things. And you can't run from something unless you're pursuing something else. But pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance. I love verse 12. Fight the good fight for the faith. Fight for it. Fight against that cultural trend. Fight against that personality tendency. Fight against that family habit that's been passed on to you. Fight against that part of your heart that trends away from the gospel and for the things of God. Fight that good fight. Fight sleeping late on Sunday mornings. Fight holding back your tithe. Fight all those things that are causing you to not be a kind person. Fight the anger. Fight, fight, fight. Because how do you do that? You pursue Jesus. Go after him and all his greatness and who he is. Let's stand together. So why do we do all of this stuff? Because we're just trying to be good Christians so we can be good boys and girls. How many know that that's not good enough? That's not a good enough motivation. Why is it that you hear messages like this that challenge your heart, that challenges your choices, that challenges your behavior, that tries to realign yourself with the things of God? I'm going to tell you why. Because he is worth it. He is worthy. He deserves our best focus, our best effort. He deserves our our total praise, every part of it. That's why the rest of the scripture, starting in verse 13, says it this way. In the presence of God, who gives life to all, and to Christ Jesus, who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, I charge you to keep the command without fault or failure until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. God will bring about in his own time He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light. No one has ever seen or can see him. To him be the honor and eternal might. 
Amen. I'm going to tell you this. If you are not pursuing Jesus and his work in your life, then you're drifting into discontentment. I want, I want you to hear that. If you are not pursuing Jesus, then you're drifting into discontentment, whether you realize it or not today.